Welcome to the Besties with Breasties podcast. Sarah Hall here. I am a certified health and wellness coach, athletic trainer, mom, and breast cancer survivor. I help women overcome their own mind drama to make mind shifts that open up the possibility for their most empowered and energetic life. And I am Beth Wilmus, author, speaker, and founder of a human investment organization, otherwise known as a nonprofit called Faith Through Fire. Our mission is to reduce the fear and anxiety that breast cancer patients feel and replace it with hope and a path toward thriving. This podcast is about our experiences with breast cancer and life after as young survivors and moms. So, hello. Hello. We just did a Facebook Live to kind of tell everybody that that we're wrapping up our first series. Yeah, this is the end of the first series. Kind of feels like a graduation. I know. <laughs> I know. So, how many how many episodes will that be in our first? This is our 13th episode. Oh, we're ending on such an unlucky number. That's okay. <laughs> I is 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 this the end or no we have a couple more that come after after this. Well, this is the end of the first season. So, drug therapy is the end of the first season cuz I mean it, that's kind of how it feels is like once you're done with chemo and once you're done with all the surgery, like drug therapy is like, all right, and now we're graduating you until into it's the, the treatment on of... the end of the sentence, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sentence. Wow. I know. Lame. That was oh, lame. Uh, you mean writing sentence, yeah. not like prison sentence. Oh, no. No, no, no. <laughs> Maybe no. that's where my dateline mind yeah, goes. Yeah, I was just going to say. No, no, no. No, I was being more like grammatical, like, <laughs> yes. you know studious forget it boy redo it well i mean we were talking about that on our live though that you know you go through all these things you go through chemo and radiation and Mm -hmm. oh all the stuff that is surgery and then you know you finish and it's so exciting Mm -hmm. a lot of people ring the bell did you ring the bell for sure you did yeah that that was my my most viewed thing when my on my facebook year review (laughs) oh yeah i think people are fascinated by the bell ring yeah it was funny because the nursing staff was like you got to ring the bell. And I'm like, I'm not ringing the bell. Uh, yeah, I was anti-bell. Did you not go to your college graduation? I did. But I was voted most li- likely to be late to my own funeral. So it's probably <laughs> a miracle that I did go. Hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. When was that superlative? What? When? Who voted you that? High school? High school. College? High oh, school. Oh, wow. I was very, I was very noncommittal back mm. then. Like now I'm very type A and it's like, if I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. But back then it was very hit and miss as to whether or not I was going to grace you with my presence. Great. You weren't the friend that anybody called when they got into it. No, I was the friend that you called when you wanted to go have fun. Oh. Um, And, you know, I was there in the clutch. Like if you had a crisis, I was all in. But yeah, otherwise I was just very much like, "Eh, well, we'll see. We'll see what my day looks like. So, Lovely. but you know, in terms of the bell, I remember, you know, you have your favorite medical staff and they're like, what do you mean you're not going to ring the bell? And I said, I don't, at first, I felt like it was going to jinx me. No. Like I felt, I was like, I don't want to ring the bell. It's going to be like a jinx. It's like, you know, so I was really weird about it, hmm. but, but I ended up ringing the bell. Okay. Good. And I have to say it felt good. Yeah. I was yeah. hesitant and then I did it and it did feel like it kind of was the, you know, symbolic end to the story but the thing is is that for some women it's not entirely the end of the story yeah depending on what kind of breast cancer you have you Mm -hmm. may have more treatments yeah if you're her too positive or if you're you know hormone positive like we were you're gonna probably be told that you need to go on hormone therapy yep so that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about hormone drug therapy. So if your cancer was caused by an excess of hormones, then your doctor is going to tell you that they want you to go on hormone suppression therapy. And so we're going to talk about why it might be necessary, 
the different types of medication that Sarah and I were put on. Yep. And then we'll um, we'll kind of give you some of the stats and then what to consider when you're talking to your doctor about all the recommendations that he's going to throw at you. Yeah. Maybe some side effects that you might experience. Yeah. We'll too. touch on side effects. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So before we dive into that, let's do our first sponsor. Hair loss is consistently ranked as one of the most feared side effects of chemotherapy treatment. The emotional impact chemo hair loss can have on patients has been well documented. Scalp cooling is a simple treatment that can prevent hair loss caused by certain chemotherapy drugs. The use of scalp cooling is proven to be effective in preventing chemotherapy-induced alopecia and can result in people retaining much of their hair. Paxman is the global leader in scalp cooling. Their cold cap is scientifically proven to reduce hair loss during chemotherapy. If you are facing cancer treatment and concerned about losing your hair, ask your provider about scalp cooling and visit our website at paxmanscalpcooling.com. That's paxmanscalpcooling.com. All right, we are back. So we're going to start off our discussion on hormone therapy by talking about how many women are likely put on hormone therapy and, you know, kind of what your tumor markers look like. That, yeah, it's the majority you know. of women. It's the majority yeah. of breast cancer patients are mm-hmm. going to are gonna be put on hormone therapy. So like basically two out of three breast cancers test positive for hormone receptors. Yeah. So and hormone receptors, just for anybody who's listening who maybe, you know, hasn't gone through this or, or isn't aware your tumors are usually like when they take a biopsy or when they test your tumor after they, you have surgery, they're checking for estrogen receptor or progesterone receptor positive cancers. There's also something called HER2 positive or negative. So those are all the things that they're looking for in your tumor. Like when you hear tumor markers, those are the tumor markers that they're looking for. Right. So if you're hormone positive, it means estrogen or progesterone is causing your cancer to grow. And right. what they're going to want to do is suppress those hormones yep. so that you can avoid a recurrence or stop your cancer from growing if you're metastatic. Yep. So what kind of what kind of breast cancer did you have, Sarah? I was ER positive, PR negative, HER2 negative. Yeah, that's exactly what I was, which is, I think, like 70% of cancers. Yeah, and it, yeah, it really is. There's a, a big a big epidemic of lots of estrogen. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And you know what? We've talked about this or touched on this a little bit before. I think one of my first thoughts was, what did I, you know, is there anything I For did sure. that caused this? <laughs> you know, I started thinking back to birth control that I was on, mm-hmm. um, any kind of, of environmental factors and, you know, mm-hmm. deodorant and things mm-hmm. like that. And, you know, doctors' response to those things are pretty typical. They say there's no data to support that. But I think we all wonder, you know, totally what uh, what, what yeah. it was that caused the excess estrogen to be a problem. You could get lost in that rabbit hole of like, oh, was it this? Was it that? Well, and was you and this? I both that? like you were pregnant when you got diagnosed <laughs> mm-hmm. and my youngest had just turned one. So we were yeah. very close to I was kind of close to being postpartum. You were. Yeah. You know, you were <laughs> In vitro. Yeah. So, um, so it's um, not know. me personally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was really early breast yeah, cancer. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so there's only a couple breast cancers that don't require hormone therapy. It's triple negative, which is when they don't know what's causing the cancer. Mm-hmm. And then HER2 positive, which is basically if you have HER2 positive, it means that your cancer produced too much of a certain growth promoting hormone, uh, hormone or protein. I think it's a protein. So 15% of patients are triple negative, 15% are HER2 positive, with the majority being what Sarah and I are, which is estrogen positive. Before we talk about what our medication recommendations were, let's do boobs in the news. Yes. All right, guys. Boobs in the news is a fun segment where we read funny tweets from real people or ridiculous news stories. 
Bibs in the news. Bibs in the news. Bibs in the news. Okay, are you ready for this? I actually really like this one. This one's funny. So you have tattoos, right? Not yet. Oh yeah, you're getting a tattoo. Yeah, in um, in a month. It's crazy. By the time this airs, I think I will either. Wait. Oh yes. By the time this airs, I will be going there. Okay. So do you want to tell everybody that you're getting? Is that too personal? Oh no, I don't care. I mean, I'll post pictures. No, okay. I'm getting a he- I'm getting a big tattoo across all my chest scars. Okay, across all my. So I guess boobies. because you have been so pumped about this for so long, I just assumed that you had other tattoos, but you don't. I have none. This is your first. My one. very first. You know, I think a lot of people start their gateway drug is like a little tattoo with a friend or right. something, yeah, and you then didn't that do like that? breaks. Into- no, I've never had. I've been in the tattoo studio going to get one and chickened out. I, I, I mean, think I never, nothing was ever important enough for me to put it on my body forever. But this is like. That's totally how I feel. Yeah. And I'm like, I'd be very nervous about doing something like a project that large because that's a big project. That's not a small mm-hmm. little tattoo, like you said. Like yeah. you're jumping into the deep end. For sure. But I, I think that's why you're going <laughs> to like this, Boobs in the News. So apparently TikTok, uh, are you familiar with TikTok? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Who isn't right now? <laughs> well, I had to be educated. That's how old I am. Me and my cardigans. <laughs> You know how I am with social media. I'm so good at it. So TikTok had a challenge for the dumbest tattoo that you've ever gotten. Oh, great. Okay. So uh, this was basically an article about the winner. And uh, we can maybe, maybe we should post her TikTok video on uh, the social. Oh, yes. So that people can see it. But basically, this woman's last name is Holland, Leah Holland. And she said in the clip that her tattoo was meant to reinforce being true to yourself and real and not pretending to be something that you're not. Okay. All Mm -hmm. messages we can get behind, right? Sure. Mm -hmm. But in the time that we're in right now, her tattoo could mean something completely different. Oh, boy. Leah is from Kentucky. She got the tattoo on March 4th of 2020. And two days later, Kentucky announced its first case of COVID-19. Okay. What does she get? So she pulls up her sleeve to reveal the tattoo. And it says, quote, courageously and radically refuse to wear a mask. (laughs) (laughs) Ironic timing. That is funny she says okay so like let's go back right she she wanted the tattoo to reinforce being true to yourself and real and not pretending to be something you're not and it says courageously and radically refuse to wear a mask gosh that is gonna be a great story for her kids and her grandkids like and leah goes on to write on her post i am not anti-mask i promise Sure, you're not. Can you imagine? <laughs> that is hilarious. Oh my gosh, poor Leah. Yeah. I think there's some cover art in her future. Yeah, oh. or not? I mean, she could almost like put a little thing underneath it. It says 2020. It's like the or psych. <laughs> yeah, psych. <laughs> poor Leah. Oh. If somebody's out there that wants to do some laser resurfacing, maybe yeah. this is where we. She's like an unintentional boob. Like I don't want to call her a that's boob. What I was it's gonna say. S- I don't want to. Yeah, and she actually, I I think she's got a great sense of humor. She she actually said that she shared the unfortunate ink because she just quote, I just kind of wanted people to laugh with me because I think it's funny now too. Great, but notice she says I think it's funny now too. Yeah, like it's like she had to get there right <laughs> at first. She probably wasn't really uh, yeah wasn't thinking that, but now now she's kind of instant. Yeah. instant famous through tiktok yeah so there's i we, Go, we agree leah you're not the boob you could no. not have known that no um but that is our boobs in the news yes boobs in the news boobs in the news boobs in the news all right so we're back let's talk about what each of us were put on because we were put on different drugs 
Yeah. But we have the same diagnosis. Yeah. Which it's important to note. So Sarah and I had different stages. Mm -hmm. We presented with different, you know, Sarah was pregnant at the time. Your doctor may not give you the same medication as another survivor that Mm -hmm. has the same kind of cancer. They take into account different things about your lives and your different disease state. And so it's important to note that, you know, because sometimes I'll see like on Facebook posts like, well, wait a minute, why wasn't I put on that? Or, you know, why are you on that? And I'm not on that. And so if you ever have those questions, just go to your doctor and ask them and they'll share with you their reasoning. But we're here to share kind of what we did. So what were you put on? So I had the Oncotype score and I know that there's all kinds of research out there right now, whether the Oncotype score is like this thing that well, explain onco- what that is first. Oh, okay. So the Oncotype score is they send your tumor off to this lab in, I think, California, and, and they look at basically the aggressiveness of it, and it's on this rating of like 1 to 100. Within the 1 to 100, they have different zones of aggressiveness, I guess, is how how I understood it anyway. And mine fell in, I think, I think my number is like 25 or 26. But because of my age, and then they take a, a bunch of other factors, and my the aggressiveness of mine was pretty aggressive. Had I gone on another couple weeks or in a couple other months, it could have been completely like I could have had a completely different story. I ended up being stage one with no lymph node involvement, and but there were cells on their way to the, in the lymph spaces or the lymph channels, as I was told. So because of the aggressiveness, but because I wasn't there wasn't any lymph node involvement, I was recommended to go on an AI, an aromatase inhibitor, which we'll talk a little bit more about what that is in a minute and the difference between that and tamoxifen, because I was told it would be the most aggressive way to go about treating it. I also was put on a monthly Zolodex injection to suppress my ovaries, which I started about two months after I stopped chemo. So I thought you were on tamoxifen. I didn't think you were on... No, not from the start. Oh, Mm -mm. so you started with the aromatase inhibitor because that's what I'm on. So first, I did not get the oncotype testing, Mm -hmm. and I didn't get it because my oncologist said that she wasn't 100% a smitten kitten with the test. And so (laughs) I don't think that she... She did not use that to make her decision. Yeah, She just wasn't 100% sold on it yet as a diagnostic tool. So I never had that test, but I was also recommended and went on an aromatase inhibitor. I just didn't realize. So we'll get to that. Yeah. So my oncologist was very old school. Like um, he actually retired during COVID. He retired like I think in May 2020. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's how close he was. And he, I mean, from what I like, that was just routine is that everybody got the oncotype score. So. Oh, oh, you're talking about the oncotype score. I was going to say, because the aromatase inhibitor is pretty typical for first line therapy for somebody that's our age with our kind of aggressive markers. Yeah. That's kind of like first line what they what they usually do. Yeah. I was going to say him him being willing to do the oncotype score kind of puts him more on the side of newer technology, right? I mean, I would think so. But, you know, the the more you and I have had conversations, I feel like, you know, with your oncologist and with what I've heard from other people, oncotype scores have kind of been like some oncologists are like really for them and some are like, yeah, whatever. Like, it's not that important. But I feel like in my treatment and then deciding on hormone therapy, it was like the oncotype score that decided for you what you were going to do. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's good or bad. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I think, you know, it's kind of like diets. Like we just interviewed for a later episode today, but I think I feel like it's just it's different for every oncologist and how they feel. And so, you know, it's one of those things that maybe you can you can just bring it up and ask, like, how do you feel about this? And like, 
you can get every oncologist is going to tell you kind of how they think about things. So, yeah, I think for our purposes, we just want you to know that there's various thought processes when yeah. it comes to these tests. It's not black and white. It's not black and white. And then because your oncologist might have a certain position on it, like mine was different than Sarah's. That is why, and we always land here, it is critically important for you to know how you feel and how much trust you want to put in these tests to make Mm -hmm. your decision. But at the end of the day, the decision needs to be yours because everybody's going to have a different opinion. And that's the most stressful part of cancer is that there's all these different decisions to make. Different people have different decisions or Mm -hmm. different things they feel about it. And so it's really critically important that you do what's right for you. Yeah. So how did your oncologist decide, like, your route? I'm a very, you know, I kind of challenge everything that I'm told, right? Like, so I remember. (laughs) No. Yeah, right. (laughs) Shocking. So I remember when my oncologist, uh, she had a resident with her, you know, the the trainees. Mm -hmm. I remember that the oncologist said, I would like to put you on an aromatase inhibitor. And then, you know, with that that doesn't stop your ovaries from producing estrogen. So we would also want to suppress your estrogen through your ovaries by Mm -hmm. giving you a monthly shot to put you in chemical menopause. And this has been shown to be the best route for young patients like yourself Mm -hmm. to prevent recurrence and kind of went through all the side effects and pros and cons of that versus tamoxifen, which tamoxifen has been around for 20 years. Mm -hmm. It has good efficacy. Lots of data. Lots of data on it. The aromatase inhibitor was a little bit newer. And so I was not real thrilled about the idea of a monthly shot to suppress my ovaries. I was frightened to death of that monthly shot. It wasn't so much about what it was doing chemically. It was more like, I don't want to go in every month and keep seeing you people. Such a pain. Like, I don't, I want to take a pill a day and forget about this and move past it. And I don't want to come in every month into the medical setting and get a shot in my abdomen. Mm -hmm. So for me, I was like, I don't want to do this. And my oncologist was kind of the good cop and the resident was the bad cop. And she was like, listen, it's your decision. Here, here's the data. You need to decide what's best for you. I'm okay with either one. Mm -hmm. You know, this is my recommendation. But if you want to go tamoxifen, that's fine. And the resident was the one that said, she was like, Beth, like, you should do the aromatase inhibitor because you don't know how you're going to tolerate it. Like, what if it's no big deal? And she's like, you can try it. And if you want to get off of it and switch to tamoxifen, you can. And so ultimately, I decided to do that because I thought, well, that's true. I can try it. Yeah. And see how I do with it and then make a determination then. Remind everybody what your stage and everything was. Yeah. So I was stage 2B, estrogen positive, progesterone negative, HER2 negative. Mm -hmm. So I had one lymph node involved. Okay. So it was automatically, I you know, did the double mastectomy, the chemo. I did radiation. And now here we are at drug therapy. Yeah. Essentially what I did was everything. Yeah. I I threw the book at it and did everything. And I'm a very compliant patient. So if I commit to something, it's like I'm going to do it. love that you say that like it's that's totally not me I loved that you just said and I I think this is really good to remember about a great provider is that you know they are you hired them to give you recommendations like Mm -hmm. they are giving you their best recommendations based on the data that's out there you you can try something and I love that that was presented it to me like you can try this and if you don't like it you have to just let us know like I want to go on record too of saying that I love my oncologist she is very heavily she's in research you know so she is investigating you know the best methods to Mm -hmm. treat patients but she she very quickly got a very good pulse on me she knew I was an optimist she knew I wanted to stay forward focused Mm -hmm. and she also intuitively knew that I needed to have that 
that back out, right? Mm -hmm. Like, don't back me into a corner and tell me I have to do anything. Because you're not going to do it. (laughs) Well, it just makes you feel bad as a patient when somebody says, you have to do this or else. Mm -hmm. And she just was smart enough to see that I was the kind of person that needed to to make that choice for myself. And she kind of gave me that out that said, hey, you do what's good for you and I'm here to support you regardless. And so, you know, that goes back to an earlier episode about why it's so important to me personally to have a provider that I trust and like. Yeah. Because I know she's in it with me no matter what I, whatever I choose. But yeah, I I do give her credit with that, with noticing that I needed that, that relief. Yeah. And giving it to me. Yeah. And then that allowed me to move forward with the more aggressive treatment, knowing that Mm -hmm. there were options. I wasn't stuck. Yes. Yeah. And I think that that makes you feel safe. I, I went on the aromatase inhibitor and did not love my experience on the aromatase inhibitor so much so that it was like affecting my quality of life. And I was that like, fine, you're like, this is what I have to do. I'm just not going to do it. And not a very compliant patient. So I ended up switching to tamoxifen and which I was really actually more scared to take. And the experience has been different and better on the tamoxifen. And there's been women who have taken tamoxifen and had side effects that they didn't care for. And they've switched to aromatase inhibitors and done better. Yeah. So again, that goes back to you need to like test these out and see what works for you. Just so everybody knows the difference between these two drugs. Tamoxifen stops estrogen from connecting to the cancer cells and telling them to grow and divide. And then aromatase inhibitors stop the production of estrogen altogether. Mm-hmm. But with the aromatase inhibitors, you do have to like shut down your ovaries for it to work if yeah. you're a young survivor. Yeah. that That's key. We were not in menopause yet. So mm-hmm. our ovaries were still producing estrogen. Yep. So in order for that medication to work, they purposely put you in chemical menopause by shutting down your ovaries. And that's when you get that monthly shot. Sometimes now, like I'm on it every three months. Yeah. But that's that's the difference between those two. And they will, did for you, did they present the option of potential like if you didn't want to be on the shot did they present the option of like doing the shot for a little while see how you do and then potentially taking out like having a they call it ophorectomy oh with the ovaries taking the mm -hmm. ovaries out you know what i personally i know that a lot of doctors are starting to recommend that to, to just take your ovaries permanently my doctor never recommended that I would have major concerns with that. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be in permanent menopause. Mm -hmm. If I can avoid permanent menopause, I'm going to avoid permanent menopause. Mm -hmm. That's just my personal, and that's based off of our experience with these drugs. But no, it wasn't presented to me, and I wouldn't do it. But that's just me, because I don't want chemical menopause. But to your point, some women, rather than take a shot every single month of a medication, would rather take the step of just having their ovaries removed. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. And that's how I felt. I didn't the the radicalness of it just seemed like a little bit out of control. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, that surprises me about you because usually you tend to go toward the more natural approach of like you don't like putting medications into your body. So that must have been a really tough decision for you. I mean, it it has been that there's been probably more tears shed over the hormone therapy side of this than there was about the chemo. I mean, there was lots about the chemo, but yeah, Um, I I agree. You know, the, the hormone therapy was probably, you know, the hardest part of and still is. It's still the part that I struggle with um, when it comes to this. But because it's your quality of life day in yeah. and day out. So you want to live for a long time. Right. There's, for a long there's time. no bell at the end of this. Like No. Yeah. And now it's even worse because initially they said, OK, you only have to do this for five years. Well, now they're saying, well, you will additionally benefit if you do 10. Mm-hmm. So now we're, we're, you know, where there was an end in sight before. Now, all of a sudden, you're spending your prime parenting years in menopause. Yeah. And I am going to go on record and say you are not meant to raise small children children in menopause (laughs) like that is not okay (laughs) but before we like kind of like move forward let's talk about like the ovarian suppression and the shot 
Yeah. The monthly shot. So you and I both get the same kind. There's like three different brands. We both get the same brand and you go in monthly and yep. I go in every three months. So there's a, I'm non-compliant. She, her, <laughs> Sarah's doctor says she worries about her compliance. So yeah. She has to go monthly. I am very compliant and I go every three months, which is just two less shots. So yeah. <laughs> uh, if Sarah was more compliant, she might get two less nope. shots. per. Not, you're not threatening me with uh, compliance. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so let's talk about it. It's a shot. Mm-hmm. It suppresses the ovaries. Mm-hmm. It's once a month or every three. Mm-hmm. The funny part about this is that nurses hate to give this shot. Why? I've never, I didn't know they that. They hate it. It's hilarious. Ask them. They all hate it because, you know, they're nurses. So you think yeah. that they've seen it all. Like, yeah. they're not going to, it's a big, it's a big needle. It's like a pellet, right? Yeah. yeah. They well, don't, I mean, gosh, don't scare these people. It's really like, it is a big needle and it is a pellet, but it, I don't think it hurts that bad. I don't think it hurts unless that bad you either. get a nurse that doesn't know what they're doing. <laughs> right, right. I don't think it hurts that bad either. And we've talked about this. Like yeah. I don't use lidocaine because, oh. but you know, yeah. see, Sarah tried that once. It did it not go t- well. It took me. It took me. Uh, it was Game of Thrones. I was on, red wedding. I was on. <laughs> I was on the injection for like two years. I, would, I just have. I switched oncologists and happened to be going in when she was coming out, and she was like, "Try it with no no lidocaine this time." And I was like, mm, "I don't know. Okay, fine. I'm gonna like Hulk up and I'm gonna do this." <laughs> And it was the one time, like, the injector got stuck. (laughs) So I had to sit there with that needle in my belly for literally, like, I don't know. It was, like, five minutes or something like that. But it was just not. Yeah, I was (laughs) was like, like, how did it go go without the lidocaine? And Sarah was like, not well. (laughs) But you know what? Since then, I have gone without the lidocaine because it's really not that bad. I mean, you know, yeah. Yeah. It's, but it's not. But the nurses don't like to give it. And I, huh. I don't think it's about their hesitancy. I think they just worry because they get patients who are scared of needles. And, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think they just feel bad for us. Yeah. Oh, that's but there, there are certain nurses <laughs> where like they do it for all the other nurses because the nurses don't like to do it. Uh, so I just think that that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember the first time I went, I took my friend because I was like, I just need you to hold my hand. This is a pellet going into my belly. Yeah. And I was like, oh, now I feel kind of silly. Kind of like w- your drain situation oh, where you had, bring, you had to bring emotional support for your drains oh, to get taken out. I did. Out. That hurt. <laughs> that is so fun. My drains didn't hurt at all. Well, that's, it's the first one when I just had my mastectomy and I didn't have any recovery or uh, reconstruction. Who was like, I was so worried. I took I took a Xanax before we went because oh I was like, I got to calm down and then regretted that because of, I think I had constipation or something after the TMI. Sorry, guys. But. <laughs> But then, so then I was like, cool as a cucumber when I went to get my drains taken out for my reconstruction. I was like, well, you said that was a bee sting and it felt like I got punched in the side. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> See, this is this is what I'm talking about. Like what one person, you yeah, know, it's different. It's different for yeah. everybody. Yeah. So when we go back to the, so you have to shut down the ovaries if you're going to do what Sarah and I did with the aromatase inhibitors. But both tamoxifen and aromatase inhibitors are a pill yep. taken once a day. So if you take tamoxifen, you, you take one pill a day. And then that's it. Um, and then the aromatase inhibitor, you take one pill a day and then you have to do the shot. So like we were saying, they they used to say, okay, you have to do this at a minimum of five years. Now the data is suggesting that you get a few extra p- percentage points if you go to 10 years. Yeah. When you're making these decisions, let's talk about some of the side effects of these drugs. Yeah. So <clears throat> you touched on the quality of life issue and why this has been such a struggle for you. I, I'm assuming that you switched from the aromatase inhibitor to the tamoxifen because of some of these side effects? Heck yes. Okay. The, the mental fog i like went through a depression i which we'll talk about when we get into the emotional um well-being mm-hmm. section of our podcast our series 
Um, Which you had never experienced before. So it was directly attributed. Anxiety. I mean, I had it at night sweats, super vaginal dryness. Sorry, TMI again. No, Um, I mean, these are all normal side effects. Hot flashes. Achy joints. I didn't want to work out, which is my thing. Like Mm -hmm. I just it was literally like an out of body experience. Yeah, that's you had a much more severe reaction than I did. Yeah. When I went on, I had some of the same things. I had a vaginal dryness. I had some achy joints. And I found myself being more irritable, (laughs) which I don't I that's the one thing about being on this that I hate the most because I don't like being irritable with my children. Mm -hmm. And as a mom, a young mom, I just it breaks my heart that they don't get the best of me because Mm -hmm. of this medication. So for me, but that was the extent of it for me. And Mm -hmm. I felt like I could manage it. I will say that, you know, I'm going on year five of this. And so the first two or three years, like I've noticed that the closer I get to that five year mark, the more the symptoms are starting to show up more. Mm. So it's progressed. Yeah. And I've read before that, oh, you know, maybe the symptoms are really heavy at first and then they get better. Mm -hmm. But for me, I've noticed that my symptoms have kind of gradually gotten stronger Mm. the longer I've been on it. Yeah. But definitely nothing close to the reaction that you've had. And my oncologist even told me the last time she and I talked like that I, in comparison to a lot of women, have tolerated it very well. Yeah. But I have to say that if I was experiencing all those things that you experienced, I absolutely would have switched too. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think- It's been night and day different. Like, just the the dryness has been better. My joints still like pop like an old lady, but they don't hurt. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're glad that you made the change. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there, those are the basic side effects of being on hormone suppression therapy. There's some serious side effects with tamoxifen, like blood clot stroke or endometrial cancer, which yeah, is, which uterine, a lot of time when, when they're, when they, you know, they present to you, like if you have any kind of cervical cancer or any mm-hmm. kind of other cancer in your family, why don't we just do a full hysterectomy? So that is also something that potentially, Mm-hmm. will run through your mind, run through your recommendations, you know, especially if you've ever been like HPV positive, you'll have to get, this is another consideration, you'll probably have to start getting PAPs yearly um, because your yeah, risk does be... go up, like I think mm-hmm. like a percentage. It's small, but it is there. Right. So. Yep. They want to yeah. monitor you big time. Yeah. And then aromatase inhibitors typically don't have serious side effects, but if they do, it can cause heart problems, bone loss, or broken bones. So that's something else. Our, you know, we both have to take an injection or an infusion for to prevent bone loss because now you've put our young bodies into chemical menopause. We do. Do you not have that? Nope. Okay, so I do on the aromatase inhibitor. Ah. Maybe with tamoxifen. I don't think bone loss is a side effect for tamoxifen. So that's oh, po- that's po- I had a bone scan. I actually asked my doctor for a bone scan to have a baseline when I went on the aromatase inhibitor. Cause that, but he said with being like active and lifting weights that there was no reason to be concerned really? about it. Yeah. Interesting. My yeah. doctor was concerned about that. I had huh. a bone scan. Well, again, this is why you talk to your doctor and yeah. why why you listen to our podcast. And yeah. You can bring these things up. Yeah. She was worried about bone loss. And so she did have a baseline bone scan done. And then mm-hmm. when after I'd been on the aromatase inhibitors for a couple of years, they said that I was starting to show signs of what uh, is that osteopenia or yeah. whatever it's called, mm-hmm. where they were starting to show a little bit of stuff. So Interesting. Um, there are two. There's a shot that you can get for your bone health. Mm-hmm. The one that I took was Prolia and they just put it in the back of your arm every six months and it makes your bones stronger. Hmm. Um, So it's supposed to counter that bone loss. And then there's a new infusion called Zometa, which I actually had a reaction to and haven't done it since. But Mm -hmm. 
it's they like it because it gets into the bones and it prevents loss way after you're done with treatment. Ah. And so there's different options for that. But okay. you may be told that you also need to get something to prevent bone loss. Yep. Something to think about. Put that in your brain. Before we wrap up this episode on hormone therapy, let's hear from our second sponsor. SSM Health is a proud sponsor of the Besties with Breasties podcast. One in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer during their lifetime. Early detection is key and keeping up to date on yearly mammograms could be life-saving. At SSM Health, we offer patients in the St. Louis area online scheduling for mammograms, including next day appointments. Visit ssmhealth.com slash schedule ma'am to make your appointment now. All right, so we're back. What do we want our listeners to know about hormone therapy? Just educate yourself. Listen to this episode. You know, no, no, I, I feel like I kind of hoped I was stage zero so I wouldn't have to worry about hormone therapy. And I was I like, know. I'm going to be stage zero, so I'm not going to have to think about that. And then when I had to think about it, I was like, I don't even know where to start thinking about I it. I know. <laughs> well, you so... know, I think, you know, I mean, you don't want to minimize anybody's experience, but if you get to avoid these decisions, oh, I'm so oh, jealous. So jealous. Yeah. So <laughs> jealous. I'm and so happy jealous. for you. Like, and really, happy. really do celebrate the fact that, like, you know, you you caught it early and this oh. is amazing. So. Oh, my gosh. It's such a gift, honestly. Yeah. Like, I know it doesn't always feel that way because your experiences and surgery are equally traumatic. But I am so envious that you don't have to make these decisions. Celebrate. Right, right. So I I think that we just want women to know that this is another leg of the journey, Mm -hmm. one that extends well beyond active treatment. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. at minimum, you're going to be faced with this for five years if you choose to do it. And I think that you and I have talked about this over and over again, that sometimes it feels like the real journey begins after the active treatment of radiation chemo is done. Yeah. That's really why we're here, right? Is yeah. to kind of guide you through that and to let you know that, that you know, and if you're if you're like me, if this is like the hardest part of your journey, if this is the hardest thing, the the hardest pill for you to swallow, so to speak. Ooh. Oh, you like how I made that connection. <laughs> you know, talk to somebody about it. Like talk to your doctor, educate yourself, like and and go in with an open mind. You know, there are always options and there, you know, you can try something and you can stop it like right free will (laughs) right 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 you have to make the decisions that you feel comfortable living with and we are here for you no matter what you choose for sure so let's talk about next time what are we talking about next time well first thank you for listening today and subscribe (laughs) so we love you people please subscribe if you haven't already so that you don't miss out on our next episode and then if you know of anybody that would benefit from this podcast please do share our biggest compliment you can give us is to share so next episode, we will be discussing financial toxicity with Gateway to Hope. It's a nonprofit here in St. Louis, which is dedicated to removing all the barriers to affordable, timely, and quality health care. Right. Until next time. See ya. See ya.